Listeners, welcome back to the Lost in Postulation podcast. I'm Nicola Volpi, and in the green corner joining me today, mealy-mouthed and insincere, it's Neil Fitz-not-so-magic. How long are you going to be dining out on this apology? Like, just milking it for all it's worth. You know, you've got to. You've got to. They came back, the listeners, after your apology to Mr. Fallon, Mm -hmm. uh, which we're going to continue with today, actually. And they came back and they said your apology was, and I quote, mealy-mouthed and insincere. (laughs) It was insincere. I can... uh, Okay. I actually was reflecting on this thinking like, should I even have apologized at all? And I, I stand by I stand by what I did. And let's pick it up in the segment because we are going to get on to a bit more Fallon content, which yeah. I do think muddies the waters a little bit and makes it a little bit more interesting. A lot thing. of Fallon coming around. We're yeah. really uh, running with this. Uh, yeah. He's just coming back from the, the strike, right? All yeah, his yeah, writers yeah. are coming back now and he's going to be live on air. Maybe he will address the podcast. We can only hope. Yeah. yeah. Well... Well, 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 that is one thing. We'll come back to that, but it's great to be back postulating once again. Absolutely. And Mr. Fallon, like our other listeners, feel free to write us in on any of our socials. That's on X at Impostulation, Instagram, Lost Impostulation, or to our email, lostimpostulation at gmail.com. Phenomenal stuff. Phenomenal stuff. And listeners, while you're there, make sure to subscribe on every platform you follow, including our YouTube channel. That is a new one. Yes, yeah. a brave new world. We are getting started, and we're doing video today, actually. We can, uh, we can Hello there. wave to those uh, viewers. Yeah. Welcome along. Uh, feedback always welcome, so let us know what you like, what you dislike, what you'd like to see more or less of. We love that. Absolutely. We also love five-star ratings, reviews, and that you share this with one, two, maybe three friends. I can actually give a shout-out here. They've done a great job with the five-star reviews, yeah. actually. If you look at our Spotify now, we're actually a universally five-star rated uh, podcast which is probably rare but um, not many of those around yeah to almost to the point where it's like actually maybe a four-star would add to the credibility oh, more oh, than oh. a five no just because if it's, it's like this. it's the same as google reviews when you see a place that's all five-star reviews i'm like uh-uh, you have your doubts right it's all here. those uncles uh exactly voting yeah. exactly yeah well Let's see. We can cut that part if, you, uh, if you're worried about the, the old four stars coming in. Coming for us, the yeah. listeners. But Neil, we're here to postulate, first and foremost. Uh, we've been postulating now for, I think, around 10 months, this podcast. Mm-hmm. This is episode 35 of the numbered episodes. Not too shabby. A lot of hours of postulating. Let's keep it going. Let's do that. Or should we start with a mundane postulation? We've got to. That's what they want. Somewhat mundane. Interesting one for you here. Over the past week, I've been confronted a number of times in different ways about the idea of modern art, contemporary art, to, to put it another way. Oh. And uh, I, I, this started with a YouTube video about poetry. And it was about a poem whose name escapes me, but it was like four lines. And it goes something like, so much depends upon the red wheelbarrow next to the chickens or something like that's the whole poem right? okay and this is a very celebrated poem and very popular and th- there was a youtube video talking about why it's such a good poem and and how it's so incredibly well written and i just couldn't get on board i was like this is such nonsense <laughs> and like, you're a poetry i, I love i would like to think i have like an appreciation i i know some good poems you know right. written a few yourself so, well, it depends what you can't just post. Valentine's Day when you were 13, eh, 14. Listen, listen. Keep that, to, keep that between myself and, uh, and whoever else. But uh, that was the first point where I was like, ah, oh, contemporary art like this. I want to like it. I want to have an appreciation mm. for it, but I just don't, right? And then similarly, like, I, I saw some discussions online about, like, going to 
contemporary art museums, especially ones with video installations. Yeah, sure. And watching some of those video installations, it's you're just sitting there for like 20 minutes. Like, some weird stuff. I hate this. Like really, and and, oh, okay. I, and I've seen I've seen some pretty out there ones, you know, right? Where yeah. I really really force myself. I'm like, come on, there, there must be something here that I'm going to take from it, right? So anyway, this is the oh, this is the long winded intro to my mundane. My mundane postulation to you, I suppose, is where do you stand on this? Because I I don't think you're one of those out there artsy kind of people, but I also thought maybe you'll surprise me with this one. Wow. I don't strike you as mm. an artsy kind of person. I think you're more uh, football with the lads rather than oh, wow, uh, Louisiana okay. with the uh, with the art club. Really but pigeonholing, eh? That you you can't also be part of the art club when you're football with the lads. I'm right? all for both and inclusion, yeah. all that. But in yeah. this case, I'm I also ju- football with my wife. Also, no, yeah, yeah, football wow. with everyone. <laughs> You'll bring whoever. The yeah, point is, as true. long as you get to see football, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. indeed. Um, contemporary art, mm. and interesting that you throw poetry in with that. Um, yeah. yeah. I have a weird relationship with contemporary art. Actually, my grandfather is a had been a collector oh. of contemporary modern art. So we had a bunch of this stuff coming into the house where, like you said, you'd stare at it and you're mm. like, what am I supposed to do? Contemplate the meaning? What what are yeah. these lines and, yeah. and circles? And I was once in a museum, Minneapolis, Minnesota, mm. Walker Art Center, Quite mm-hmm. a well-reputed uh, modern art center. And there was this exhibition from a guy called Fontana. Italian guy. Okay. You don't yeah. need to know. Doesn't him. ring a bell. I didn't know him until I saw that. Fair. And there was this white canvas. And right down the middle of that white canvas was a black line. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was the most expensive piece in the whole museum. And there I said, wow, okay. And I had the classic thought that you have as a... 10, 11 year old where you say, mm-hmm. well, anybody can do, do that, that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then come around to high school after I didn't cut it for the clarinet, mm-hmm. after I didn't cut it for the choir, as we've discussed, I believe, before on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I still needed my fine arts requirement. So mm-hmm. where did I end up? I ended up in painting. Okay. For three years, Neil. Actually. So you're actually a painter. You are a painter. So, yeah. so you could say, you know, I've, I've been a painter uh, wow. back in my day. And for three years, I painted. And I would come in, 45-minute period every day for a semester every year. Mm-hmm. I would put on my red apron. Cool. I would put on gloves a la Michael Jackson. Because, I, because yeah. I didn't want to get paint all over my hands. That's and fair. Then, you know, That's have fair. to go back to class. Okay. I would still manage to stain everything. Yeah. But, and I would paint abstract oh yes 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 i would Jeez. and um my my mother um was a big fan of my work uh she <laughs> still has <laughs> some, case, yeah. some of my paintings wow um i like to play with color and wow you know throw color on there um jackson pollock vibes i'll yeah. I'll jackson pollock uh, thank you mm-hmm. uh very very humbling mm. and that's I, I ran with that for three years uh the whole i could do that thing um, and to this day, I think my mother remains the only fan of my works. So not everyone can do that, was my conclusion. Okay, that was what I was going to ask. Way. I was yeah. going to ask you, like, do you see value in your work? Or putting it another way, do you feel that that work was any mm-hmm. sort of expression? Or was it actually just a bit of, like, throwing uh, paint on the on the canvas? What started as, you know, a lazy high schooler mm. trying to meet a fine arts requirement ended with an appreciation for that type of art okay to this day i am not the one picking out pieces to stick on the walls in our house Mm -hmm. 
but I can appreciate when the right color hits the wall okay. at the right angle, okay. what it can add to the room. Yeah. But I couldn't tell you that one is worth 40 million. Yeah. Not that we have any 40 million artworks in our house. I mean, that one is 40 million and that one is, you know, two cents. Probably it's interesting. Not. And what do you make of this argument? That say mm-hmm. something is so dull and boring and uninspired that it makes you angry, right? Okay. Uh, which I've seen many examples of, especially in painting or in, mm-hmm. in, or mm-hmm. in photography or yeah. those kind of things. One argument could be that that's the point, right? And that if art makes you feel something, then it's successful art. And if it makes you feel angry at it, like thinking this is nonsense, then it has succeeded in its job of inspiring or at least, you know, yeah. provoking or evoking some emotion. In you. Something existential about it, right? If Yeah. It's the same thing if you think about it, you and I, with other arts. I mean, we're both big, you know, movie people, mm-hmm. cinephiles, mm-hmm. If, if you want to be pretentious about it. I do. We like music also. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there would be people that the music we might like or to each other say, what the hell is mm-hmm. that? Or yeah. the films. Yeah. And on the other hand, you could say it starts a polarizing discussion. It does. Between lovers which and not lovers. Useful. Which, which is, is useful. useful. Yeah. And, you know has it then served its purpose maybe and i i guess where i'll where i'll land the the jet on this is the following for me it's a question of effort right and what i don't have time for and still will will probably be consistent in this regardless of how my evolving views of of art are is like if it took someone two seconds to make and with zero effort and it didn't pull anything it didn't require anything of them right they didn't have to search their soul for something to put on the page you know Mm -hmm. then i i am always going to lean a bit towards like you're you're getting away with something here. It's like the emperor's new clothes, you know. All right. Yeah, that's mm. where I that's where I land with this. I think it's fair. So you are not a fan of lazy contemporary art. Yeah. If I can see the strings, you know, if I can yeah. see the 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 process in my head, and it's like that can't have taken this really can't have taken more than two minutes, you know. As you say, like a, a blank uh, canvas, you know. Mm-hmm. It it needs to have a very compelling backstory for me to forgive the fact that it took two minutes to make where do you land on poop coming out of campbell's soup cans poop coming out where do i, <laughs> where do I land on uh, that? it's a very famous uh, i don't remember if it's warhol i don't want to say no, it's no. War- warhol just photography so warhol did the campbell's soup montage, okay right right there was no the feces okay. involved at there any was a guy okay that did um Cam- poop coming out of Campbell's. Okay. I am going to now do well, something is... that we don't often do because yeah. we are going to do a live very fact check rare. here. Very rare for the show. Yeah. Um, and I am literally Googling poop Campbell's um, <laughs> and see seeing what comes up. Warhol poop can. Oh, he did. So comes it was, out. It's a, okay. Um, wow. Yeah, look. I mean, uh, the very reliable Google images. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Warhol poop cam. It's a um, thing. Listeners, come come at us, explain this to us, uh, because the, the images here that I'm finding, don't search this on the internet. They're not too gratifying. You need to do a more specific search. Yeah. Anyways, one of the most famous yeah. contemporary art exhibitions by a huge name at one point, mm-hmm. in the MoMA, in wherever you want, was Campbell's cans of soup mm. with human excrement i believe human wow. coming out of it actual real i believe so oh man and uh, you know this is one example but i believe we're only scratching the surface like you can find so many examples and there's certain artists who are really you know particularly mm. bad for it to use that phrase but like 
there are some crazy exhibits that have happened over the years not all of which i would necessarily agree is art mm. and some do drift into the yeah like marina abramovich has done some absolutely crazy stuff yeah uh which i would start to question like is this just awful and shouldn't right. exist but maybe a topic for another day because i know we were trying to keep it light and mundane here and we've gotten into the quite yeah. deep territories i'd love to discuss banksy with you at some point big fan of banksy yeah. big fan of banksy so, right but yeah it's a, a but that's neo- high effort that's high as in is, like yeah. if you look at the quality of the stencil from the work, corpse, yeah. for one thing yeah the yeah. effort but also the stencil work itself it's extremely mm. well done yeah. and then the, the just the the statements the choices he makes i think are are or were or whatever way you want to put it because i don't know if he's how active he is now i saw an exhibition of his in amsterdam uh, earlier this year i think it was quite impressive yeah so yeah i have, I have time for banksy we have time for banksy mm. and uh, listeners what we don't have time for is a more apologies so stay tuned for our next segment Listeners, welcome back. And just before we uh, begin this next segment, a little update. Uh, some research during the break here has yielded that there was, in fact, a work of art with cans filled with human excrement um, called Merda d'Artista, mm-hmm. Artist Shit, by an artist called Manzoni in Italy. Um, and so it wasn't Warhol, it wasn't Campbell's cans, but it was cans with excrement, uh, and it became an iconic piece of uh, of art so there you go that is phenomenal one of italy's finest artistic contributions absolutely absolutely phenomenal. he did it in 90 different cans well consistency is key you know yeah well how do you get to uh, carnegie hall practice 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 you know they said that but i never got to carnegie hall just didn't, that much. didn't practice enough did you get there also need to practice. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. All. yeah, you just didn't practice. It's the American that, dream, you know. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. Ho, ho, he's hey. coming out with shots. Shots fired. Shots. Sorry. Okay, uh, Neil. So last week we had your apology to Mr. Fallon. Now for the third episode in a row, we're going to discuss Mr. Fallon. And I'm going to propose, like with Succession, when we discussed it for three episodes in a row, mm-hmm. there now needs to be an embargo on the fourth successive episode. We need a break after okay. this. This is the last Jimmy Fallon discussion. This is the last Jimmy Fallon yeah. discussion. Unless the listeners have something to say about True. that. As they did in this case, where they sent in a tip. Oh, yeah. There was an article in Rolling Stone magazine. Mm-hmm. You a fan? Can't say it's my go-to. Okay. No. Decent journalism overall, like yeah. high standard of investigative reporting when they want to. I remember when I was in high school, Lil Wayne, the rapper, mm-hmm. you know Lil Wayne? I am familiar. Yes. Yep. He had gone to jail and they went into prison and interviewed him. And it was like, you're reading this as a high school and you're like, ooh, okay, mm. this is journalism. This this could be cool. But isn't it more, if there's a spectrum of like integrity... Mm-hmm. These guys are more on the like TMZ end of the spectrum. No, I wouldn't go there. I'd say they're they're not the New Yorker, but they're around the Vanity Fair, where you okay. still have great journalists doing it, but they are taking the pop culture angle. They are the they're to be even more specific, celebrity culture, right? They're like we are focusing in on these people and really just going deep, deep, deep on them. You know, like yeah, you could yeah. say that because they're not they're not here really so much talking about like art or you know. Or <laughs> Merda d'Artista. They're, <laughs> exactly. they're not going to be covering that, unfortunately. Um, 
Well, I would have to look back through the archives of Rolling Stone magazine. They may have covered okay. Merda d'Artista at one point. Mm. Anyways, there was an article about Jimmy Fallon, which made the rounds uh, in the middle of this writer strike, which is just ending. So just now, like just the last few, or yeah, at this least was the last... a couple beginning of September twenty twenty three. We missed so it. Yeah, we missed it. Uh, thanks to our listeners, it was an exclusive. Uh, the title reads: "Chaos Comedy and Crying Rooms Inside Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show." Mm. Subheading: Sixteen current and former staffer say Fallon's erratic behavior spoiled their dream. Of working on the Tonight Show, mm-hmm. coming out swinging. Oh yeah, haymaker, classic. I read the article over my breakfast yesterday. Mm-hmm. Did you have a chance? I got to- about three quarters of the way through, and it, as readers will note, if they read it, it kind of runs out of steam around that time. And exactly, I just kind of stopped. But yeah, so that's kind of my my point here is, I'm reading this. I read it twice, mm. having my breakfast. And I'm shaking my head avidly while reading it. And it's not because I'm here to defend Jimmy or far from it. That was my first reaction, but okay. Yeah. My wife looks at me. She's like, what are you doing? Just like it's Saturday morning. Chill out. And I'm uh-huh. like, for some reason, I'm fuming. And uh, I'm like, you won't believe it. And then I tell her what we'll go into this discussion about. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading this. And it's not sticking. You come in, big swinging headline. And I'm going to be like, oh, this this doesn't bode well, you know, for Jimmy, for the late night game. What's what's going to come on this? And granted, acknowledging sounds like a not a fun workplace to be in, like not fun at all. Wouldn't want to work there, especially the people working under him that run the show. It had a lot of those Ellen vibes. You remember when the whole Ellen yeah. fiasco came but out? But then, in fact, though, she did end up losing her job over that, right? Or kind of that was the Something turning point. Happened. Yeah, maybe it was the straw that broke the camel's back. But I definitely don't think. She survived that uh, that news article. Not unscathed, definitely yeah. not. Yeah. What this read like was, okay, Rolling Stone magazine didn't do the scoop on Ellen. Let's take the Ellen article, mm. find any other late night host, yeah. and do it about them. Yeah. Something tells me this type of work culture, and that's not an excuse for it, mm. is a bit of an industry thing. Because the way the article re- reads, mm-hmm. right, comes out swinging... But then it's quite lukewarm and undercooked and not what yeah. you would expect of a true investigative piece where they're like, we followed this, they're putting all the pieces together and it's like, boom, Jimmy Fallon, you're finished. Yeah, I think the only the only compelling part of the whole thing for me was that he himself has apologized for the mm-hmm. contents of it, right? And it was updated to reflect that, I think, when he did. Yes. And I think it was just an internal apology. He just like called an all hands or something and like, right. look, I'm embarrassed by this. I I've, I didn't behave well, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, fine. He owns up to that, right? But has he committed any crime? No, according to the article. No. Uh, is he a bit of a nightmare to work with? Yes. But I mean, that's not a crime, so to say. Right. Yeah, it's just like, and also I wanted to be very mature in my analysis and say that this wasn't why I said that I don't like him, you know? No, so, no, not at all. So my point stands, which is that like he uh, may be all those things, but I, if I have any ill will towards him, it's mm. purely as a performer, not as a, I, I don't know what, how he acts behind the scenes. And no. I, I, I don't know if I want to take anyone's word for it, you know, secondhand through the Rolling Stone. So I'm like, okay, right. maybe he's not great to work with, but yeah, that's kind of here, neither here nor there. Yeah. yeah, neither here nor there. What, what made, what I reflected on was the fact of what does this say about kind of where we are in a way with journalism Mm. this day and age Mm -hmm. where you have this notion very much of the hit piece coming back to four, right? Mm -hmm. And 
that headline there, that'll get clicks. It promises a lot, yeah. Which then brings ad revenue, right? Totally. Most people won't read through it. And that headline will stick. If you read through it, what you see is like, okay, they're describing a bad workplace culture, this Mm -hmm. and that, but there's not the, hey, I caught you with, you know, red-handed in any moment or anything, right? Mm. Issue is, they know when they're releasing this material, people will read the headline, conclude things from that, and then that's that's it. They will even comment. So the way social media will often go is that Mm -hmm. they post the article with the headline on, say, Facebook. Comments are open. Off to go, off you go. Same with Reddit, mm-hmm. and people will just start commenting. Oh my god, terrible! I always knew it. Blah blah blah. Right, and you can see very quickly none of you have actually read the article. If you, and and <laughs> often a lot of the comments are very patiently saying, actually, if you would read the article, you would see what you're saying is not true. Actually, you know, yeah. like that's not what they're alleging. Yeah, but it is incendiary headlines are a, a bane of our uh, online world right now, and just something with, that we unfortunately have to learn to live with or, or learn to negotiate better because. It is. It's just whatever generates clicks. That's uh, and usually it's the angry thing that generates clicks. You know, mm-hmm. much more mm-hmm. so than the happy news. Sadly. Yeah. Are we also that surprised that Jimmy Fallon, when the camera is off, is not the same as Jimmy Fallon when the camera is on? Well, like, this is, is that news? This is a great topic to get into. Yeah. Maybe another time as well because it speaks to a, a recent phenomenon of parasocial relationships, which you mm. might have heard about, right? And there was a study done recently where people who identified themselves as being lonely, of having a low number of friends, were d- tested with an MRI as they were talking about characters from Lord of the Rings, right? And okay. the study found that the brain activation or the brain wave activation in their head during the MRI, when they spoke about the characters in Lord of the Rings, were the exact same as what you would see when somebody who describes themselves as not lonely or having a lot of friends talks about their friends their actual okay. people that they know right yeah and this goes back to the jimmy fallon thing that i think there is a subset of people there's a percentage of his fans who not only love him so much as a host and as a comedian and as a performer but they literally feel because of the constant exposure they can have via youtube and, and social media they feel literally like they're his he's their friend right like it's an intimate relationship what a lot of people actually do with podcasters, right? Where yeah. they're like, it's just in their ears and they're like, this is my weekly conversation. Hanging out with my buddies. Yeah. yeah. And okay. hey, like, I guess we're kind of contributing to that in some weird way, but like, mm. we're not, obviously we're not Jimmy Fallon. So let's, uh, no. I, I don't feel so bad about it. No. But in any case, it is a very interesting new field of research about like, wh- how has the internet kind of hijacked our friendship mechanisms in our brain mm. and how do we like view others now in this new messed up light of like they're a celebrity but they're also my friend you know it's like right. deeply unhealthy it can't be normal you know right right so so that leads us to essentially thinking you know these people with whom we have no actual real life relationship are actually close to us and so Absolutely. then we're more in shock when we yeah. find out we we think they're two-faced when in reality they're just putting on an act on one side, exactly. which is their job, yeah. and on the other side, living their life. Like, n- most people mm. aren't the same 100% on their day job at their employer who's paying them than when they come home to yeah. the family. And that's the average person, right? So right. that's you and you and I say in our workplace environment, we're like a little bit different to in other scenarios, right. right? But now amp that up by a thousand for an actor or a musician who's right. a performer first and foremost. Yeah. Of course they have an onstage persona. Of course they have a... Mm-hmm. a version of themselves that they put forward yeah. and then fans are somehow disappointed when they find out that oh my god jimmy fallon doesn't slap the desk every time somebody no. says something and funny. he can be irritable and yeah. frustrated when people write him jokes that he doesn't find are funny 100 percent. now okay now like all no all of that said which right. i fully agree with yeah i also do think that he probably didn't behave very well no and like and 
maybe even if I could be so bold, that might have been part of his success, right? That mm. some of the, I hate, I almost hate how this might sound. So I'm being careful here, but it does sometimes take a bit of a megalomaniac dictatorial approach for, mm-hmm. for creative stuff to actually work sometimes. Right. Because when you get this, you know, uh, a camel is a horse designed by committee joke, you know, where it's right. like, too many cooks come together and it's like, oh, Jimmy, you should do this, you should do that. Mm. It needs someone to be like, absolutely not, we're not doing that. Mm. And actually what we're doing is this, this and this. Right. And if it's not exactly like that, get out. Like you're off the team or whatever, you know. Right. So I kind of, it's it's multifaceted, it is complicated. And as tempting as it was for me as a, as a skeptic to jump mm. down his throat here and be like, oh, this is proof, I knew it. I'm not going to go there because I do think that this is, a, as you say, a bit of a hit piece. Um, wanting to be, you know, the next Russell Brand cancellation or the next, you know, right. big cancellation, but just not, it didn't land, it didn't get traction because here we are both finding out about it right. a month later. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, our listeners clearly heard about it, but I don't think it got mainstream uh, pickup. Nope. I mean, we would be on it, right? And like, it was just Rolling yeah. Stone. Like, that. It was just Rolling Stone that came out with this piece. Um, yeah. yeah, what it sounds, you know, at times, irritable guy, this kind of stuff, you know. On the other hand, taking it a bit more lighthearted, Mm-hmm. what Fallon did during this writer strike with four other talk show hosts. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw that. Did see that. Right. Yeah. They had a podcast going throughout the summer to yeah. raise money for all the writers that were on strike on their show, give them something to do in the meantime. So it's him, Seth Meyers, John Oliver, Jimmy Kimmel, and Stephen Colbert. And you you also see their podcasting journey through it. Ten episodes, like they begin, it's all crosstalk. It's like bouncing off the walls all over the place. Mm-hmm. One kind of common theme where Fallon seemed a bit like the outsider throughout mm. it. Uh, they were doing a lot of jokes to him. They weren't taking him very seriously. Uh-uh. There is something also within that community. Yeah. And this yeah. is quite an interesting thing, right? Because you say, okay, those guys, pick of the litter, whatever, whatever channel is on. If we mm-hmm. still did channels or whatever YouTube clip comes up now, mm-hmm. that's a, the new generations consume yeah. them. Uh, they're all, you know, one and the same. They're just competing for the same ratings, right? Mm-hmm. We, which we've discussed. They're not, right? Uh, yeah. We've talked a lot about talk show hosts. So it was quite interesting, this dynamic, where they all saw Fallon as like, mm, he doesn't, he's not one of the, it felt like yeah. he's not one of the cool kids kind of vibes, but he still hangs out with us. Yeah. It was one of those. I need to watch it because like the article about him here from Rolling yeah. Stone, this Strike Force 5 thing, you know, I saw it yeah, mentioned. Yeah, that's what it's called. Strike yeah. Force 5. I yeah. saw it mentioned in the article and I was like, I have never heard of this in my life. No. And uh, somehow it really passed me by. So awesome. yeah, I'll check it out. But yeah. uh, like, I'm a big fan of John Oliver's and like some yeah. of those other guys. But uh, yeah, weirdly that one didn't show up anywhere. So yeah, yeah, fair enough. Interesting within all of this. I don't know where I'm going with this, mm. but oftentimes we don't with, the, with postulation. Exactly. Strike Force Five, mm-hmm. five white men, right? Yeah, not great. We've talked about Ellen having a show before, Oprah in the past, but you know, is it time maybe with the traction going down on these talk shows and mm-hmm. the new generations not knowing what channel things are on? You and I included, we're cord cutters. Mm-hmm. Is it maybe time to mix it up a bit? Oh yeah, bring some diversity to the table and do well, something differently. For here? one, yes, but I can tell you. My fatigue with those shows is very simple. It's just because everything is scripted and agreed beforehand. Yes. All the questions go from publicist to producer. Mm. That get, That's where it gets arranged. And then what you're seeing on the stage is just a performance, a rehearsed performance of here is the question you guys asked me to ask. Here is the answer I prepared with my publicist. And it just goes over mm. that. It feels very fake. So what I'm really enjoying actually is Hot Ones. The Sean Evans. Uh, yes. Because I've now seen people who... 
I had a preconceived notion about celebrities who I was not a fan of, Gal Gadot being one, right? Who I was like, ah, oh, very right. wooden, not Mentioned. very personable. And she came on and was just herself, or very as authentic mm. as I've ever seen, you know? Right. I saw like Cardi B was on it just last week. Amazing, mm. loved that interview. Yeah. So where, where to your point about like, do we need to mix it up? Yes, diversity, mm. yes, absolutely. Yeah. But also diversity of format, diversity yes. of like, of genre, of like where the questions get asked. And for all it gets made fun of, Carpool Karaoke was one of it these, was something different it was something yeah, yeah. yeah it was. Uh, like uh, it's maybe not for everyone yeah. it was a little cringe at the at best of times but yeah. like at least it was different you know true so I'm, I'm like bring that on more more of that if we want to hear from these celebrities who want to talk about their book or their movie or whatever fine but like let's do it in some way that actually feels somewhat real you know? yeah a bit more entertaining more engaging for the audience I, I gotta give Hot Ones another chance oh it's great I, yeah, I know gotta. Sean Evans can come across as like very wooden or a he bit feels robotic yeah you know? but yeah. it is just the way he is kind of, and like if you okay. can get past that his questions are phenomenal like mm. he he has a team i guess writing the questions who skip all the crap stuff about like how amazing was it to work with the rock on this right. and they just get straight to like as a child you always talked about learning the clarinet but now you had the chance for the first you know it's like really well researched and deep like questions. and they don't feel overly prep coming into it i guess is i guess not i think the other side i think they insist on it and nowadays there's a poll right so a lot of celebrities, a lot of the big celebrities who come on, they said, my publicist slash kids slash fans keep saying, when am I going to do Hot Ones? So apparently this is the thing now. Like, no kids aren't shouting out, when are you going to do Jimmy Fallon? Like, or at least not so much, you know? Yeah, yeah. They want to see them on Hot Ones. That's like That's a fair the point. fun one. And yeah. it's funny. They eat wings and they get real stressed yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, spicy know? and they try all the, the different varieties. and the, What's not to love? Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Mm-hmm. We will give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And now that we've talked about Fallon for three straight episodes. Yes, yes. And I believe four of the last five or six, we're going to give Fallon a rest. I think it's time. Yeah. He's welcome back on the show another time. Whenever if he, he ever wants. wants to appear, he's more than welcome. Yes. But we now need to find other things to entertain yes. the listeners with than Jimmy Fallon. And those other things are coming to you right after the break, listeners. Listeners, welcome back and il est bienvenue à les Jeux Olympiques. Oui, euh, bien sûr, quoi. C'est, euh, c'est les Jeux Fantastiques. Et, euh, oh, très bien. Je suis prêt de discuter les, les, les Jeux Olympiques. Oh. Ouais. Votre euh, français est formidable, Neil. Ah, bon, Un applause, s'il vous plaît. Merci. Euh... J'habitais en euh, Belgique. Euh... Ouais. That, that helps. Allez. Well, <laughs> listeners, well, well, cool. <laughs> what you just heard was yeah. a meeting of the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, <laughs> because... Pretty much. <laughs> That's about what all they talk about. It's just like, bienvenue, merci. Uh, oui, oui. Yeah. Uh, le, le prochain host, yeah. Tokyo. Qui a payé le, le plus grand sac de, d'argent? Oh, de... Allegations of corruption off the bat. Allegedly. Um, allegedly. Yes, listeners, uh, the International Olympic Committee, because coming off of having covered music festivals last week, today we wanted to cover sports festivals, in particular the Olympic Games. Mm. Neil, would you consider yourself pro Olympics or an Olympic skeptic? I actually do think this is one of those topics that I still have a little flame of optimism. Like like with the, the Oscars. Yeah, like the candle <laughs> the candle is right down to its like little 
little tiny the wick candle you know? in the wind like it probably as a kid as, a, as like you know when I first saw the Olympics I was like this is amazing and just like so exciting every four years so cool and now my you know my adult cynicism has just worn away at that little fire <laughs> that done. was a burning fat passion it is now just a little flickering flame but it's still in there somewhere like the Olympic flame itself indeed it should never be extinguished so that I still have that little bit of optimism for the Olympics even despite many allegations of sports washing, sports washing, corruption, etc., etc. Right. But hey, that's what we're here to postulate about. That is what we're here to postulate about. I myself, I'm what you would call, I think, an Olympic romantic. Okay. From the sporting angle, right? So mm-hmm. it's a bit the same relationship I have with World Cups. I love the sporting magic, the inspiration. I'll find myself crying at random moments, watching all the events. Phenomenal. But I can't stand the organization committee, yeah, right? Yeah, and everything yeah. that goes behind it. Mm. While at the same time, a guilty pleasure for me with all sports is the narrative around the sports and reading those long investigations and pieces yeah, of true. the corruption before this Olympic and building these ghost town stadiums, etc. So yeah, yeah. we have the Olympics to thank for all It's that. fascinating. Yeah. It is like, like, yeah, the story is kind of everything, isn't it? Yeah, The story is everything. The yeah. narrative. And mm. that narrative we have to thank originally the ancient Greeks for. We do misleadingly, indeed. the ancient Greeks, and I'll get to why misleadingly, um, from Mount Olympia in 8th century BC to honor Zeus. That's where this all started. But isn't he great? I mean, we, we should honor Zeus. Our like man, his, Zeus. Yeah, our yeah. man on the ground in Athens, or our man in the sky. Over he deserves yeah. a bit of honoring. Zeus. Big yeah. fan of the Greek myths? More, yeah. I am a bit, and this is so nerdy, but just because of a game, you know, like classic stuff. There's a game called Hades. It's unreal, and uh, it features a lot of the Greek gods. That's how you learned about it. Huh? Pretty much That's is actually, wonderful. Yeah, I must say. But uh, also a big fan of Hercules, the Disney movie. Yes, great introduction to yes. uh, the pantheon of, of Greek gods. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I would say I'm a uh, I'm pro uh, Greek gods. Well, there you go. What about Dionysus, the Lord, uh, the god of wine and party exactly yeah. he's uh he's the funnest character in that game i yeah. mentioned hades he uh, has a lot of uh, alcohol at all times okay he's there but yeah yeah but he was uh, the bartender at our resort in crete believe it or not dionysus yeah, yeah there you go the very same guy yeah exactly. taking a break from his god duties to uh, serve you a guys. prophecy in the name there so, you go so he yeah. was involved yeah. yeah so it all starts back then and personal sidebar anecdote here ninth grade ancient history class hmm. We're sitting there, and Mr. Danielson at the time, one one of the goats of uh, of my high school mm, teachers. There's a few. Yeah, well, there is a few. Mm. He he was also moonlighting as the coach of the varsity girls soccer team. Double jobbing. Yeah, totally irrelevant. To be but there you go. He was lecturing us on the on ancient Greece, and we were covering the ancient Greek Olympics that day in yeah. class, 45-minute mm. period, everybody excited. He's going through, you know, what were the events, what was behind it and all mm. uh, intriguing stuff, especially, mm. you know, you're that age, you're like a 13-year-old boy, you're not very interested in most of your classes, but mm-hmm. there you're like, you're covering the Olympics, okay. Cool. And um, girl sitting in the front, whose name I won't mention because I think it's not very nice to bring these things GDPR up also. Yeah. Right, also. Yeah. Raises her hand and Mr. Danielson, did the U.S. used to dominate back then as well? <laughs> I mean, it's such a good question, though. Like, It's a brilliant question. Uh, you can imagine the difficulty Mr. Danielson had in yeah. not ridiculing this poor girl no, and no, explaining no. that this was the 8th century B.C. and yeah. the U.S. didn't really exist yet. Sad to say. Yeah. I, I think it's a brilliant question. and I, I, It frames so much of, of the American psyche. It, it's, it speaks so much to American exceptionalism. I just love it. But uh, yeah. 
I can't make fun of that. It's too good. Right. Yeah. Exceptionism in the modern Olympics where they have all yeah, 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 of course. Of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the ancient Greeks. Forget about that. Centuries later, end of the 1800s, the idea is reincarnated oh. loosely by Baron Pierre de Coubertin. Your man, uh, French, mm-hmm. founds the mm-hmm. International Olympic Committee in 1894, leading to the first modern Olympic Games in Athens in 1896 to honor huh. the original birthplace. And what do we think Pierre was up to? Like, what was his end game here? Was this a money-making scheme or like, what's the deal? A cynic would say this. Yeah. Uh, Pierre talked about the, the goal of Olympism, and I quote, is to place sport at the service of the harmonious development of humankind with a view to promoting a peaceful society Concerned with the preservation of human dignity. Mm, it's a lot of nice words, Pierre. A lot of nice words strung together by some uh, so collectors like in there. Pierre yeah. quits his day job, mm-hmm. you know, and says, I'm going to start this because I think right. what we need is a little bit of peace around here. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like he's Pierre got... the uh, banana straightener. Yeah, he's got uh. something else in mind. I don't know why. I, maybe I should uh, get more into it. But in any case, he certainly was highly interested and informative in making it happen. So fair yeah. play. Respect and, to you Pierre know, for that Pierre's one. Pierre's successors give the Olympics to Hitler at the dawn of the war, mm-hmm. hosting. Mm-hmm. We know how that one ends. And it becomes quite a money-making scheme. As you go, mm-hmm. we come into having TV coverage. We have more and more sports. We end up splitting and having a winter and a summer edition. Oh, yeah. We go from 241 athletes at that first Olympics in 1896 to now 10,000 at least at each Summer Olympics and another 5,000 at the Winter Games. Insane. That's how much this thing has grown. Sponsors coming in from all sides. Countries bid for it now and take about 10 years to build up all of the infrastructure around it to Mm. host this event for three to maximum four weeks. And uh, yeah, this is where we drift slightly into like the ethics of it or the responsible or mm. not nature of, of such an event, you know, right? creating new infrastructure, which then goes unused for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that, right. that does kind of uh, trigger me a little bit. It doesn't feel totally yeah. great, but yeah. Or as with the London Stadium ends up just being handed down to West Ham United, to the hey, Hammers. Not too bad. They're not too bad. Their fans apparently hate their new stadium, but yeah, heard, they yeah. have to deal with it now. And they're playing okay, so... Yeah, yeah well, there you go. So... That's a bit, you know, on on the history. Mm. What I wanted to discuss, similar to, you know, what you brought up on on the last episode about Mm. music festivals, is why do they grow so much? Why are we still captivated by them? Mm -hmm. What is the product here, right? And this coming from someone that sits in front of his TV for the better part of those three weeks, watching, doesn't matter if it's the swimming or the javelin throw or water polo or you know the various shooting events which i have no clue what's going on but the olympic spirit neil it's just a great example and this is off the top of the dome here so let's see where how how far i get with this it's a great example of an ecosystem that has benefits to all participants right and i can speak of three just as a as an example right think of us russia china for example first Mm -hmm. of all for them the olympics is an opportunity to assert world dominance right Mm -hmm. That, that soft power thing at an extreme scale where they want to come home with the most medals, right? Yeah. And that's what they all do. They all show up and one of them comes away with the most, usually America, right? Mm-hmm. So that's their game. That's what they're into. Ireland, for example, kind of another thing. We literally just want a gold medal, like any. Yeah. We'll get it for walking. We'll get it for rowing. But like, it doesn't matter what. 
but we will freak out if we get a gold medal. Like and that. whoever gets it doesn't pay for a Guinness for oh, the yes, rest for of their the, life. Literally, yeah. they're a national hero. Yeah. Um, Sonia O'Sullivan was a great example back in, that was like the late 90s, where she was just doing phenomenally well in long mm. distance running. And she came home with a bronze, I think, from the Athens Olympics. And it was like, whew, right. big, big deal. Like, we got time off school for that. We got to like... Really, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. It was insane. So there, it also caters to those countries who literally just want to see their name on the TV, like Ireland, the, the yeah. Irish flag, right? I know. Yeah, and to feel like every country is looking at us right now. You know, when, they, when, they're, when they're showing each athlete at the start of a race and it's like, yeah, come on, Ireland. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, yeah. everyone's looking at us right now. Galvanizing so, an entire country, mobilizing them to cheer this person exactly, on. Exactly. So it's great for the big countries. They love it. It's great for the small countries. And then for the athletes themselves. Mm. And by the way, it's a horrible life for an athlete. Like, if you want to go to the Olympics, it's basically loads of money down the drain that you personally spend the olympic committees for different countries spend between zero and a few thousand dollars to get you there Mm -hmm. and in many cases nothing like they will just be like you're gonna go to the olympics uh good luck see you there and you're just like oh a hotel no Uh, flights no right in many cases nothing yeah most cases are not exactly michael phelps's and usain bulls exactly and they do it anyway because who doesn't want to be able to say i was at the olympics i had this I got a medal at the Olympics. I'm one of the greatest athletes on the planet. Like that's what every athlete is dreaming of, right? So as I say, it's an ecosystem that caters so nicely to all participants. Everyone's happy. And then of course, the one that we haven't mentioned is TV channels, Mm. sports uh, companies, Nike, Adidas, etc. This is their big, big like money-making festival, right? So it's just something that has stayed because everyone gets something out of it, you know? Everyone loves it. I don't know why. That's a wonderful way to, to put it. Like, yeah. we're all invested in... But we all get something different. The Olympics. Yeah. We all get something different. Like, we, Ireland, right? Italy yeah. to a lesser extent, Denmark mm-hmm. to a lesser extent, is never going to come away with 50 or however many, 70 medals or something. Right. Like the likes right. of... But we don't want to. We don't expect to. Mm. And we're not going to. Like, we, we, yeah. we will never spend that money on the infrastructure, right? I know the US does put crazy money into gymnastics facilities, mm. athletics clubs, scholarships all through the major universities. All of that is leading to the Olympics for the soft power thing, for the whole asserting ourselves on the world right. stage you know crazy stuff but has that worked would be well, the question what what i'm becoming more and more depressed by is how well sports washing does work actually mm. because sadly weirdly despite my own knowledge i'm finding myself more and more okay with the likes of qatar saudi arabia etc mm-hmm. just because i hear the more that they're, they're hosting stuff they're in the right. formula one you know but more in the discourse and i know like i i'm i'm very familiar with the jamal khashoggi case like i, I have all of the ammunition to yeah. tell me why i should never ever entertain the notion of going to one of these countries right. and yet mm-hmm. whenever the opportunity if the opportunity arose if someone said hey i'll pay for your flights would you be up for going to the formula one mm-hmm. i'd be like uh, yeah, right. that sounds fun. Right. So it does work. Or at least for me, I can just anecdotally say that it's slowly but surely them just buying their ticket to be, you know, at mm-hmm. the table, to be a part of the discussion. I am sadly, disgustingly, slowly being okay with them hanging around, you know? So does it work? I think probably, yeah. Sports, the opium of the masses. 100%. Yeah. We get all we get uh, excited looking at that while everyone else is uh, off, you know. Yeah. doing actual stuff yeah. yeah and on this line of you know also what is the product why do we keep watching them when when you search this you come out with these things now tell me where you land on each one of these it's quite a lengthy list mm-hmm. global unity despite you know creating country blocks and countries using this to mm-hmm. you know blockade others and boycott right yeah. global unity mm-hmm. human achievement mm-hmm. I think human achievement that's 
That's a cool one. Can't deny that. That's pretty cool, you know, to see the yeah. guys pushing themselves through the marathons and whatever it is. I think it's important for us to, and yeah, let's not, I won't derail your, your list here, but it is important for us to see our species advance, right? Mm-hmm. So when we had the four minute mile, first of all, that was like, it could never be done. It's been right. done. Yeah. When we've seen the high jump world record, when we see the long jump world record, yeah. we're feeling, we're verifying to ourselves, like when we go to the moon or when we do all these other things. Pushing the limits. We are advancing, yeah. not just in technology, but in physical advancement also. Yeah. yeah diversity of sports yeah yeah how often are you you're only going to watch the javelins row once every four years right sad to say if you do yeah, yeah. sad to were you a javelin man so something? bad at javelin my but god but you tried it yeah okay. yeah but just terrible i don't know why as I a wish. vtp i kind of thought yeah as, as a vtp i kind of thought i would have a good fulcrum of motion you know i would like right. to but something about the coordination again, again. with the coordination yeah. but i was i could i was a high jumper that was my uh yeah my one niche that i actually without was, a ball you excel as long as there's no ball yeah. just a bar to jump over yeah so were you good at the high jump you yeah. go yeah, backwards yeah. over the thing and yeah, yeah not with the not with the pole vault i was doing the fosbury flop yeah so okay. i was uh, yeah coming up and over uh back first you know yeah loved it we I, tried it in gym oh, class track and field absolutely it's a very tough one though because if imagine if i said to you uh go go do some high jump where mm. like where do you go you have to go join an athletics club you have to train with them three you times a week track, yeah. and nobody trains high jump like people go training they, they train sprints or you know or right, the tempo right. or whatever yeah. and then maybe they'll pull out the mat and they'll do a bit of high jump right. but it's, it's very much an afterthought you know yeah so you kind of just have to be good at it at least in school you yeah. know but also technique is yeah. everything on oh these yeah sports right it's unbelievable those are the marginal games oh, love it. anyway sorry i got you Amazing. off i got you no, off I your list it. here yeah. diversity of sports there you go neil the high jumper there you go national pride it's an interesting one because kind of spoke to it earlier yeah, yeah. as we yeah. said it works yeah emotional stories yeah yeah did you ever see the video of i forget his name now but mm. british sprinter 92 barcelona olympics mm-hmm. he makes it to the final he's expected to medal that day he's been coming back from so many injuries mm. he pulls a hamstring on the maybe 400 meters in the beginning all of a sudden, this man runs out of the stands. Oh, yeah. And he's he's trying to catch up to this guy that's broken down and crying. Security's trying to hold him back. Yeah. Wraps an arm around him. Yeah. It's his it's dad. dad. Yeah. And he finishes the race in his dad's arms. Carries him home. I, that Emotional was, story. That, I've seen that one. And a similar one, there was one where uh, it's a women's race, I believe. And maybe not even that long. Maybe 800 meters or something mm. like that. And... It, it, the gun goes off and someone just falls straight away yes. face plant yes. you know and you're just like ah oh, fuck it's over I mean obviously you, it's you over you feel something there as yeah. a viewer because you're like well it's over like of course because yeah. everyone else is taking off full speed and what oh. does she do she gets up and just <laughs> starts plowing away like closing the gap closing yeah. the gap and she wins the race Sofian Hassan from the Netherlands incredible yeah. that's a, that's an all time clip yeah. and that's also a, I think it's Olympics or at least it's something yeah I think it was the last uh, yeah. Olympics in Tokyo amazing yeah. I mean it's it's being recycled for LinkedIn posts every week right. it's uh, <laughs> You know, one of those classic yeah. business motivators now, but uh, isn't still. that also a classic trend that business mm-hmm. leaders need to resort to motivating by yeah. being inspired by sports? Sport metaphors. Yeah, it's actually very non-inclusive. I was uh, this was highlighted to me recently that um, business leaders do it all the time because they're maybe male and they're yeah. football fans or rugby or whatever, yeah. and then they go, "Whoa, I like this," so everyone else will like this. Right. And then you have a room, say a mixed room of 50% men, 50% women, mm. where all the men are like, "Oh, that's so cool," yeah. and all the women are like, "I literally don't care about this." Whatever yeah. you're trying to say, it's not. I'm not interested. Yeah, yeah. just so speak normal. I've been trying when I'm making presentations now. I do try that one extra step to be like, "Okay, if I'm going to talk about sports, can I at least take a, a like an inclusive angle to it or something?" But like, it is hard. Like, it, yeah. it's a habit you need to kind of break. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, sorry. Well, thanks for your effort. so many off ramps to this conversation. I'm trying to just keep us. Uh, Les Jeux Olympiques, Neil. It's multifaceted. C'est right? ça. Oui. And uh, c'est ça. C'est the next point: cultural exchange. That's cool. Yeah. Although, uh, do you believe in it? I just don't think it's that big a thing. Like, yes, there not is. Not for the average. I know. Actually, not to get too uh, R-rated here, but I do know that at these yes. Olympic games, they go through quite a lot of contraceptives at. Uh, on the, in the Olympic When village. you walk into the Olympic village, apparently yeah. it's there. Safety and, first. And do, it's We're zero, it's zero surprise to me. So cultural exchange, certainly in action there. Okay. <laughs> but like beyond that, I don't think like the fans of each nation are spending that much time, you know, getting to know the various cultures. Maybe they're having a beer with people, you know, mm. at the games. But mostly I, I don't really see the, that this is the best cultural exchange. I think the Eurovision is a way better example of cultural exchange. Okay. Uh, just because cultures actually get to represent themselves you know right as a eurovision skeptic in their in yourself, perfor- so, yeah. Yeah, also but like in their performance they get to like do something with it whereas yeah. if you show up and you're like i'm here to represent ireland yeah. but it's like but just do the sport exactly as it's you know yes, d- don't okay. like express anything yeah. other than just run really fast you know from the perspective of the actual olympians but let's say yeah. from the perspective of the spectator mm-hmm. and not even necessarily one that goes to the country but mm-hmm. say you and me watching them on tv so much comes about in those three to four weeks of the event. Think mm. of like a World Cup, for example, where you actually end up learning a lot of things about the mm. country where they're hosted it, as sorry, cultural exchange. At least the host country, yes. Sorry. Yeah, the host country, yeah. But if you, you, if you were to argue, oh, but isn't it such a great exchange of all the countries who take part? I'm like, ah, no. Not really. No. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. Fair point. But I like it. I like that it's on this list. Yeah. yeah. Well, this one, I think, obvious competition and drama. For sure. Yeah. So much competition. Tradition and history, for better or worse. We like that. We talked about it last week as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sense of community. And that's where we bring this kind of full circle to the music festivals, Mm. the tribalism. Exactly. This and the last point. Tradition and community, it's the tribe membership. Mm -hmm. What could be be better than feeling like you're part of a national tribe? Watching one person from your tribe winning and being better than all the other tribes and saying, I'm part of that tribe too. It's a big reason why you have had, in some cases dictatorial you know environments that environments countries mm-hmm. that really push for olympic success yeah because of what it can bring back it's a world. it's a propaganda machine superiority whatever yeah. you want it's a very positive propaganda machine in the sense that like if and we, we we did reference hitler earlier and like the 38 games in berlin were like his attempt i suppose to prove that the aryan race were superior and like right. that was all part of the storytelling right and I guess probably successful. They won some medals and he got to go back and talk to the people about, look at how amazing it is that we've won again. Look how, like we're the and best. And to showcase how he was running the city yeah. of Berlin at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dark, actually, in, in well, a way. Lest yeah. I remind you, we had Olympics in Sochi in just 2014. Yeah. We had Formula One there only three years ago or something. Well, yeah. there you go. Jeez. Yeah. Well, on that note, the last one. Mm-hmm inspiration for participation yeah. have you ever been inspired to actually participate Look, in the olympics neil i'd be lying if i said no right because as a 13 year old when i first started high jumping mm-hmm. and i was met with some early success in mm-hmm. the east leinster athletics competition so this isn't even leinster which isn't even a quarter or i mean you know it's it's half of a province of ireland but densely populated by Irish. yeah yeah, yeah but like how many high jumpers are there in that, in that hey, group hey we'll not take so it. many they right? don't need to know so when you win a competition like that as a kid your brain of course goes to well I won nobody's better than me what's next I have not seen one person who's better than me therefore it stands to reason 
or it's not unreasonable to at least entertain the possibility that I may be the best in the world at this because nobody's beaten me so far. So, of course, I was quickly proven wrong in the Leinster Championships where I came second. So that, that quickly, you know, uh, put to rest any, any feeling that I might be the best in the world at this. But I did still think, you know, if I take this super seriously, I could be an Irish high jumper. We had one not too long ago. Um, I think about 16 years ago we had a high right. jumper he didn't qualify he, he got so he got to the Olympics didn't get past the first round quite sad and I was watching and I uh, was a bit disappointed by that but in any case would I, he have been there had he not been inspired by seeing the Olympics as a child certainly not that's certainly the question not. I mean that is what when you're into Olympics or sorry we're into, Olympics, we're into athletics at all any of right. them that is always in the back of your mind I mean anyone who says that, that it isn't is, is lying this is my ticket yeah. Right. yeah I mean you want to you want to do something cool you want to be able to tell the grandkids you know hey let me show you this uh, YouTube clip actually you know mm-hmm. This, that's your that's your old man you know exactly that'd be, that'd be pretty cool well we can show them a few YouTube clips as well to our grandkids one well, now day. We, we can have them. Yeah, we have YouTube we certainly clips. do we're not high jumping but we're know. doing we're high talking we're having yeah. some great discussions yeah. high yeah. frequency absolutely Indeed. high well, pace yeah. there you go as a kid whatever sport I was practicing in the backyard I pictured doing it yeah. on the biggest stage yeah. and Surrounded. I took for granted that yeah. I would lift a world cup one day yeah but uh, well, but actually, now I'm podcasting. Now, about it. But now that I actually think of it, I feel something happened in my student years that has kind of ticked the box for me, because I did one stand in front of a stadium full of people, on the middle of the pitch. There right? he is. And having done that once, eighty thousand, hundred thousand, about fifty, fifty thousand. Hey, but come on, yeah, it was big. Yeah. But having done that once now, I was the mascot for a rugby team. Just if anyone's uh, okay, wondering. I was going to say pitch yeah. invader, but yeah. uh, close enough. Yeah, <laughs> like. <laughs> I was dressed up as as a lion, uh, but for uh, Leinster, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, one of the hey, you know that right? Yeah. No, I the listeners, oh, the listeners don't know. Yeah, yeah, evidence. Yeah. So yeah, you can Google it. Google Leo the lion, Leinster's uh, you mascot. You were Leo the lion for one season. Yeah, did I not tell you this? This is unbelievable. I did tell you. This. We need photographic evidence it's for all the online. social media. It's all the... online. Wow. Google Leo the lion. Uh, so I was Leo the lion, and there was one match in the Aviva Stadium in Dublin at Christmas where we had arranged that I would go out and give the rugby ball to Santa, who was there. You know. Yeah. So out I went in front of a stadium of 50,000 people who were like, oh, cheer, you know? Oh, my God. And I'm looking around through my little lion mouth, you know, up and around at these people. And I'm like, this is insane. But also I was like, I've done it now, you know? I don't, I don't, need, to, I don't need to be an Olympic athlete, you know? I can go and uh, I've and done be it. Be a mascot for a yeah. rugby team in Ireland. It was pretty crazy. But because of that, I feel like I've done it. Like, I don't, I don't have that need that you describe, which is like, I want to try doing this in front of a stadium of people. Because no. I, I feel like I've, I've seen it. You've done it. I, yeah. Of course, now I'm Googling Leo the Lion as we talk, but mm-hmm. it's... A mascot, so I don't know which one of them is you. I can tell you which one because I remember the... Okay, that's amazing. We are yeah. going to share that with uh, yeah. with our listeners. I think they'll appreciate that. Definitely. Uh, yeah, Neil, you did not make it to the Olympics. You made it, though, to being Leo the Lion. Just, just as, good. as good. Just maybe, as good. Maybe had you followed that more lucrative of a career than an Olympic high jumper. It wasn't that lucrative, I can tell you. No, no, but you know, because you didn't but stick yeah. with it long enough. Yeah, maybe, know. maybe. Yeah. The mascot game. Um, so... We have a lot to cover on a future episode. We promise about the politicization mm, of the mm, Olympics. Don't this have time. supposedly yeah. non-political movement, which is as political as it gets. Absolutely. But to end this episode, Neil, Olympics or music festival? Mm. What I like about the Olympics, which maybe tips it more in my favor, mm. is the rarity, the four years thing. Right. Because these music festivals now are taken taking the proverbial if you don't mind me saying 
These like running Glastonbury every year, you know, mm. or Lollapalooza or Burning Man or whatever. Surely, like a year flies by these days. I don't know about you, but it's like we're getting old, Neil. It's yes. freaking. It's October. Like we started this a year ago. Yeah. We're already lapping it. It feels like that just flew by, yeah. you know. So like. My point is just that you could make those music festivals a bit more special mm. if you stopped making it just such a hamster wheel money spinner and just were like, okay, once every four years and then make it really epic. You know? Right. Because that's what the Olympics, I think still it does, like the World Cup, has a bit of an epic feel to it because of that yes. spaced out nature. You know? Yes. So just because of that, I'm going to give it to Olympics. Okay. Yeah. And we'll pose the same question to, uh, to our listeners as well. You could also, to make it extra special, have one fiasco festival once a la fire festival that is true and then lives on in the legend much like your days of high jump indeed i had my fiasco along the way with high jump yeah so yeah i think uh, there have been some fiasco olympic games as well not all of them have been the uh, phenomenal successes that they would like to think they were but maybe that's another one for another uh, episode also. indeed so yeah. we traveled from Merda d'Artista we did all the way to Leinster to Leo the Lion passing through Jimmy Fallon any parting shots <laughs> for our listeners I would like to extend a warm congratulations to anyone who stuck with us through this thrill ride because into it. we went all over the place so thanks as ever thanks for listening thanks for all the content the chipping in the messages etc we love it and you know help us shape the future tell us what you'd like to, uh, to hear us postulate about we're always happy to hear from you because Neil we chose to go to the moon not because it was easy but because it was hard thank you very much